0: What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello and welcome back to the PC Speaking Podcast. As always, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to tune in. Uh, Today we come to the final installment in our series on the whole armor of god i hope you have found it helpful as we've gone through the series i know i have certainly learned a lot as we've gone through it we're going to read our scripture passage from ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18 one more time let's start in verse 10 it says finally my brothers be strong in the lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for our fight is not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places therefore take up the whole armor of god that you may be able to resist in the evil day having done all to stand stand therefore having your waist girded with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness having your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace and above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god pray in the spirit always with all kinds of prayer and supplication to that end be alert with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints I've told a lot of stories about uh, my time in the military throughout this series, and I've gotten some positive feedback about that. People seem to find those interesting. I remember my entry into the Marines was something like this. I attended my last day of grade 12. My birthday was the next day, and then I boarded the plane to basic training the next day. So it was a pretty fast process for me. When I first arrived, at the airport, they were rounding everyone up. You know, uh, who was who was coming to go to basic training. I have no idea how they coordinated all that young men flying in from all over the country, organizing us, getting us all on a bus, and getting us to the recruit depot. Uh, anyway, when you get there, if you're former Marine or a current Marine, you'll certainly know what this is, but you get off the bus and you get on the yellow footprints and then the chaos begins. It's a very fast and furious indoctrination into Marine Corps life. And one of the very first things they do is they shave your head. Uh, They issue you some very basic clothing and gear with lots of shouting and running and carrying on. And they begin to remove your identity and break you down so they can build you up and shape you into what they want you to be. And the very first week of basic training is called receiving. It's where you begin to learn basic protocols, get your uh, records and things sorted out, behavior, military discipline, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the very first things we were introduced to as part of Marine Corps culture was sleep deprivation. And we did not sleep for it. It was at least two days. Like My memory is pretty fuzzy on this. It may have been even three or four, but I'm sure it was at least two. And uh, it was, yeah, like I say, those those days, early days, were mostly a blur in my mind at this point. But after receiving week, you're picked up by your drill instructors who will be your drill instructors for the rest of time. You're in basic training and organized into a platoon with other recruits And uh, while well, assuming they still do things the way now that they did then. And at that point, the recruits you're with are the same ones that you will be spending most of your uh, basic training time with. You know, however long the way, there's some recruits who are lost and leave for different reasons. Uh, sometimes it's injury; it might be mental reasons, and some recruits decide that they've made a big mistake and make a run for it. They go AWOL. And while I was in basic training, we lived in an open squad bay. And there was no privacy of any kind ever. Didn't matter what you were doing. You can use your imagination. There were uh, no days off. There was no social time or after hours time or weekend liberty in basic training. It's not like you were finished at five and got the rest of the day off. There was no time off really. Uh, There was what they called square away time in the evening before we hit the rack. And that's when you prepared your gear for the next day, polished your boots, took a shower, shaved, and if you hurried, you might have time to write a letter to someone. Bedtime was not optional. Neither was the time you got up. And it was not a nice wake-up call. It was noisy and annoying. Uh, on Sunday morning, however, it was a little bit different. We were allowed to attend a religious service. There were a few different options available. I can't remember what they all were. I think there was a Protestant, Catholic, uh, Islamic and Buddhist, if I remember correctly, Um, I went to the Protestant Christian service not because I was interested in church or religion, but because it was an hour I could get away from my drill instructors. We're also allowed; a few of us were allowed to purchase a newspaper on the way back from church on Sundays, and that and the occasional letter were our only connections with the outside world. We. Kind of pass the newspaper around. There's a bit of time to read it before um, noon chow and after church, and we would share those papers and you know get a piece and read it. And there, we, uh, I remember there was one particular Sunday, and I believe it was in August of 1990. Someone bought a newspaper. And on the front page was a headline about how the U.S. had invaded Iraq. And one of our drill instructors gathered us up and in the typical Marine Corps way, told us we were going and some of us weren't coming back. And that was, that was a sobering moment. Time went on and training continued on as normal. But with that thought in our mind, And I graduated from boot camp, went on to other training schools. I went to several training schools. I spent a lot of different time in schools before I uh, finally ended up arriving in my unit. And again, we saw a lot of young men come and go for different reasons along the way. And I was in one of those schools, the last school I was in, actually, before I went to my unit, when some Marines from a unit called a fast company showed up, uh, the fleet anti-air anti-terrorist security team. And uh, they came looking for volunteers to round out a platoon of fast company Marines to deploy to Iraq during the first Gulf War. And I think they were, they asked for 14 volunteers. That's a number that's in my head anyway. And I put up my hand to be part of that. I went through the interview and indoctrination process and, uh ended up becoming a member of a Fast Company. And that may sound kind of noble, but my motivation, motivation for volunteering wasn't really that noble at all. And my class was on track uh, to be placed as permanent personnel on board naval ships to be a reactionary force or something like that. And personally, the thought of living full-time on a naval ship was less appealing to me than being deployed to the war in Iraq. So that's what I volunteered for. I was placed in a fast platoon in preparation for deployment. We had our gear staged in the hangar uh, on an Air Force base somewhere ready to go. And we were on a four-hour recall, meaning we needed to be able to go from whatever we were doing to being in the air within four hours headed to wherever they wanted us to be. And I went through that a few times, that uh, being ready to be deployed like that. We even carried beepers to alert us in the event of a uh, recall for deployment. I know those beepers are pretty obsolete now, but they were pretty cool at the time to be a young fellow walking around with a beeper because uh, you were so important that they needed to recall you. But we did some pretty cool stuff. But the reality is that, like I mentioned before, often things were monotonous and boring. And during the first Gulf War, we were often sitting on the precipice of deployment. Um, I spent a lot of my time in the Marines just waiting to be deployed and told we were, we were told we were going to Iraq more than once, but in the end, interestingly enough, I never did deploy to Iraq. We did some other deployments to other places, but uh, Iraq was not one of them. A lot of buildups, but in the end, nothing ever came of it. It was kind of a relief and a letdown all at the same time. It's interesting when you're told that you are headed into a conflict, but then you never actually go. And then that happens multiple times. That's what we used to call hurry up and wait. Uh, Any military listeners would certainly understand that terminology. But we were well-prepared physically, for sure. We were very well-trained. We were prepared well mentally. We were well-disciplined, but we weren't prepared spiritually. That was one thing for which you kind of retained your identity. Um, you you kept control over that part of yourself, over the spiritual self, spiritual part of yourself. Um, there wasn't much involvement in that in uh, when I was in the service, but you know, for most of us, we really didn't have any idea what to do with that part of ourselves. Now, the possibility of being deployed, being killed, things like that does tend to cause people to think about spiritual things. Now, as Christians, we think about spiritual things all the time, it's what we do. As Christians, we're also uh, not standing on the precipice of battle. We are in spiritual warfare. When you trust Jesus as your savior, you are engaged uh, in spiritual warfare. If you remember back to the first week in this series we talked about spiritual warfare and how it's not as exciting as it it's sometimes made out to be it's a a topic that attracts people um, but you know it's not not as um, I don't know as exciting as it's often made out to be and the battle's not out there somewhere often that's the way people view it but the reality is is it's a battle. Spiritual warfare happens in each of us in our daily decisions as we discipline ourselves to live in obedience to Jesus. And we grow more confident and more confident in our faith. And we mature as believers as we practice different spiritual disciplines. And there are several of those, You know, Bible study, fasting, generosity, service, And even celebration, to name a few. Uh, Celebration is a spiritual discipline. And sometimes the list will vary depending on who you ask, but you'll find a few spiritual disciplines that will make pretty much every list you'll ever see. And one that you find on every list of spiritual disciplines, especially uh, it's almost always should be near the top and that's prayer. And... That's where we've come to conclude our series on the whole armor of God. In verse 18, uh, Paul writes this. He says, pray in the spirit always with all kinds of prayer and supplication to that end, be alert with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Paul says, pray in the spirit always in all kinds of prayer and all supplication. Always, all in all, Uh, Paul's giving us instruction for what we might call triple A grade prayer, always, all in all. Prayer is preparation for spiritual warfare. And it's also participation in spiritual warfare. And uh, it's it's an ultimate, ultimately a key to mm-hmm. victory in spiritual warfare. Um, and last week we looked to Jesus to learn to wield the sword of the spirit. And this week we again look to Jesus to learn how to pray, pray in the spirit always and all kinds of prayer and supplication. In Luke chapter 11, um, one of his disciples comes to Jesus and says, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is how Jesus answers. In Luke chapter 11, verses one through four, uh, one of his disciples comes to Jesus and says, "'Lord, teach us to pray.'" And this is how Jesus answers. He says, "'Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.'" Um, that's a passage of scripture that uh, has often been memorized and recited in church services and things like that. And it's always a good thing to memorize and recite scripture. But in this passage, Jesus has given us an outline for prayer that will lead to a powerful prayer life that will train us, strengthen us and help us grow. And it will help us in our current battles and prepare us for the battles that lie ahead. And prayer is essential to everything that we've been discussing in this series. And as we look at this prayer, Jesus has given us a training model for prayer, and we're we're going to draw out four main elements of prayer that we can implement in our own lives. Uh, you may be able to find a few more in there, but we're going to talk about four of them today. It might be good to take some notes and then some time on your own to study that and dig into each one of these and maybe see if there are other elements in this passage you may be able to apply in your own life or more points you can draw out about the ones that we talk about. But Jesus says to begin your prayer like this, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first element of prayer is praise and worship. The very first thing we notice about the instruction Jesus gives us on prayer is that the first thing to do is recognize who we're talking to. Now, have you ever gone to pray? Um, You probably have, if you're anything like me, and you give God a bit of a to-do list when you pray and your mind wanders off to other places while you're doing it. When we look at what Jesus says, it should give us pause and cause us to think, you know, who am I talking to here? Who am I speaking with here in modern Western culture? We kind of put everybody on the same level. And mostly we do that with good intentions. Um, The term mate here in Australia is somewhat the embodiment of that. It comes from a word that um, is hundreds of years old. And it means eating together at the same table. And I could be here in Australia and meet the prime minister, and here I might say, "How you going, mate?" And many of you understand this far better than me because I didn't grow up using the same terminology. But Jesus has given us access to our Father in heaven, which is a very comfortable access. It's you know very available. Um, in Matthew. Twenty seven fifty one. The Bible tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, the the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. In the temple, the veil was the curtain that separated the holy of holies from the inner part of the temple, the place where the ark of the covenant was located. This was the mercy seat of God, God's dwelling place on earth. And access to the holy of holies was v- extremely limited. Uh, Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in there. Very limited access. Now, it's hard to know the exact measurements of the veil in the temple, but uh, it was probably about 20 meters tall and 10, 10, centimeters, 10 centimeters thick. And it's not like it's a piece of linen we might find in a summer shirt. It was a very you know substantial uh, piece of cloth, substantial veil. And when Jesus died, this veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And that's symbolic of the fact that Jesus has opened the way for everyone to God. And of course, that means through the gospel. We know that we have access to the Father through the shed blood of Jesus. No man comes to the Father except through him. We've also been granted access to the Father in heaven in our prayer. Now I heard someone um, explain worship as uh, uh, talking about God, praise is talking to God and in an instruction Jesus gives us in prayer here he does both when he says our father who is in heaven hallowed be your name now jesus has afforded us a very comfortable kind of access to god but what we need to understand when we do pray is that we're not just chatting to uh another person that we know a neighbor something like that we're talking to the king of the universe Jesus teaches us, he says, remember that, recognize that. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy be your name, you're set apart. And we do that first because it puts us in the right mindset as we pray. We're speaking to the king of the universe who has the power to actually answer our prayer. We're talking to the king of the universe and Jesus teaches us to remember that and recognize it. And I hate to admit it, but my finite mind sometimes forgets who I am speaking to. Uh, And as I'm speaking to my infinite God who can do something about what I'm saying, it's easy to forget how powerful prayer can be. And it's, 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 it's easy to forget that. And it's something we think about and that's what Jesus is, you know, teaching us, to remind ourselves of when we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, Prayer begins with worship and praise, recognizing who God is and where he is. And that puts us in the right frame of mind for prayer. And Jesus also says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the second element of prayer Jesus teaches is God's purpose, theology is the study of the nature of God and religious belief. And when finite human minds study an infinite God and attempt to explain him, uh, there are many things we can't know, but we will never be able to thoroughly comprehend God. That's just beyond us. Um, The problem is, is that, Even though we can know a lot about God, his very nature means that he will inevitably outdistance our finite understanding of who he is. know, and I, I can't comprehend God in the same way that I can comprehend a guitar chord. You know, and personally, I love that about God. There's more to Him than I can understand, more than I can know, more than I can comprehend. And if He is truly God, then to me, that's perfectly reasonable and rational. If an infinite, omnipotent God exists, of course, my limited self will not comprehend everything about Him. When we pray for God's will to be done, as Jesus teaches us to do, it reminds us of that. And praying for God's will to be done is a powerful way to help ourselves understand that there are things beyond our own understanding that are God's will. It helps us embrace his kingdom and his will above our own kingdom and our own will. Whatever's going on in your life, we usually think, you know, there's a a way I would like to see things turn out. And that's usually reflected in the way we pray. Uh, but, But what we need to add to that prayer is God, but your will be done. Like Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. It's perfectly and always okay to unload on God, to tell him, I would love to see things turn out this way or that way. Remember, even Jesus prayed, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But when we do, we also recognize that God's will involves more and better and higher things than we can see. Then we need to learn to be at peace with that. When we don't recognize and pray for God's will, we get anxious and frustrated and we try to manipulate outcomes if we don't recognize and pray for God's will to be done in in our mind, what we do is we limit the scope of God's will to only what we can see and know. So we pray when we do, we pray in worship and praise. We pray for God's will to be done, recognizing there is far more to his will than what you and I might be able to see. And when we do those things, then we are in the right place to make supplication to God or make requests. Verse three says, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So the third element of prayer Jesus teaches us is supplication. This is our request. It's our petition to God. Many of us probably lead with this. Instead of first, you know, recognizing who God is and praying for His will, we probably lead with our request. Without that kind of preparation, we give God a to-do list. God fix this. God do that. God, here's your list. Can you please get all this done by tomorrow? But this afternoon would be better. Um, and it, you know, there's nothing wrong with sharing your request with God. Not at all. We should do that. We just need to start with praise and worship, and also praying for His will. And the reason is, is that when we do these things first, the requests we make will be in line with things that honor and glorify God. Now, here's an exercise you can try if you want to at home this week. Put your prayer requests in a list, write them down, anything you want, whatever comes to mind. Obviously, just put everything on there take a few days to do it. Uh, What you put on there is obviously completely up to you. Now do that, say, uh, the first three days of the week. And... Also, each day, as you pray, give God worship and praise first. Recognize the grandeur of his creation. Recognize who he is, who you're speaking to. Take time to pray for his will to be done. Pray, God, give me the strength to honestly desire your will to be done and find joy in your kingdom instead of mine. And after you've done that consistently for a few days, look back through that prayer list again. And as you do, think about, how do these things honor and glorify God? And look and see if maybe your perspective on some of those things has changed. Just something to give a try. When we make our requests known to God and worship and praise, praying for his will to be done, our requests will begin to line up with things that honor and glorify him. Now, lastly, and sometimes this one's a little confusing. And Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some translations add the evil one there. Um, The final element, Jesus teaches us about prayer, at least that we're talking about today is strength in temptation. When we read that, we might ask, does God lead people into temptation? Well, there are a couple of ways of looking at this verse. One is saying something like, lead us away from evil. We may tend to move towards and sometimes reach out for things that are not good for us, evil. And we're asking God to keep us from that, to lead us away from that. God, keep me from putting myself in a situation that might lead to sin. And there's another interpretation that looks at what Jesus says here uh, about temptation as trials. And the word there could be used either way. It could be asking God to remove trials and suffering. So it could be either one, both. And I think it's good to look at what Jesus says here in light of Psalm 114, four. He says, do not let my heart be drawn to any evil to practice wicked deeds with men who do iniquity and do not let me eat of their delights. So we're asking God to help keep us away from situations and things that are evil. Our final element of prayer is asking God for strength, in temptation, the temptation to doubt, to reason ourselves into acting on the idea that what sin has to offer is better than what God says is best. The temptation to exercise a good God-given desire outside of God's intended context. Asking God for help in avoiding situations that would cause us to do those things which is a basic premise that goes along with everything we've talked about in this series, prayerfully putting on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand firm in the strength of the Lord against the attacks of the enemy. And it all comes down to knowing Christ as our savior and following him in obedience in every part of our lives. That's really what it comes down to in becoming Christian and being a Christian, trusting Jesus as your savior, and then following him. So let's let's wrap up with this today, a vision and a challenge. And the challenge is to do what we've talked about through this series. If you haven't listened to the rest of it, I encourage you to go back and do so and put on the whole armor of God, wield the sword of the spirit, stand firm in your identity in Christ and pray how Jesus teaches us to pray. So let's all put on the whole armor of God and pray like Jesus has taught us to pray and think about what would it look like if we all did this? What if all believers lived like that? We all pray like Jesus teaches us to pray. We all put on the whole armor of God. What would it look like if we all did that? Well, let's give it a try. Let's do that. And Paul wraps up with this. He says, to that end, be alert with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The word alert, In a physical sense, it means sleep deprivation, like I was talking about in my introduction to military life. But in a spiritual sense, it means being watchful and attentive to spiritual things. So let's persevere in being watchful and attentive to spiritual things. Would you do that with me? And let's see what God does. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful.